So we're going to continue our sermon series on the Psalms. We're praying that this is a brighter sermon series, meaning it gives you life, you learn more about God, and we, we pray that it shapes your prayer life. The Psalms, it's really a prayer book, a song book, that really should shape our prayer life together as a church. I get to preach my favorite psalm of all time today, Psalm 1. And so if you would read up here, we'll start with it. And it goes a little something like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. For he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does it prospers. The wicked are not so, they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. So we see this picture right here. You guys didn't think I was going to get through that without reading. I see you guys looking up here and looking at me. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure right there. You understand me? I'm trying to promote memorization of scripture right now. I got to get every word right, ESV style. We get two pictures there. We get a picture of a righteous person that's like a tree. And we get a picture of a wicked person that's like chaff. So let's talk about the tree first. The tree is immovable. You don't move a tree of righteousness. It's planted in the streams of God's living water. What do you get from trees? You get shade when the sun is scorching. You get fruit for life. When I was a kid, I loved playing in trees. How about you? They bring so much life. When you look at a tree, in my opinion, trees are one of the most beautiful things that God has ever created. I just love trees. They point to the glory of God. I was walking into a sporting goods store the other day, and there was like a row of five trees with these wonderful, beautiful blossoms on them. And they kicked off a smell that reminded me of my childhood. Have you ever gone through that? When you get a smell from your childhood, like a tree or something, it reminds that newness of life. It brought me back to a wonderful time when I was a child and growing up because those trees were planted near I, where I lived. And I was like, wow, that's so special. I forgot about that. Trees are life-giving. They give off new life. They're a wonderful thing. And the righteous are like trees planted in the gospel. Now, the wicked are not like that. The wicked are like chaff, and I'll explain chaff like a city boy right now. From what I understand about chaff, right, it's the stuff on the outside of a seed, like, that just, it's, it's wasteful material. Like, last week on my lawn, did anyone get one of those twirly things, or like 8,000 of those twirly things on your lawn? You didn't, just my lawn, huh? But I looked out, and these things were a nuisance. And know what happened every time the wind blew? Every time the wind blew, that stuff blew all over my yard. See, chaff just blows away. Anything happens in life, the wicked are moved. Trials, tribulations, tests, moved, moved, moved. They can't stay in one place. They're moved around. Life just throws them around. The chaff gets moved. See, the wicked are not set in Jesus, so they cannot have a firm foundation. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. What I want for Restoration Road, for the RR family, for all those who are in Christ, I want us to be immovable in Christ. I want us to give shade to those who are in a broken world, who are getting scorched by the brokenness. I want us to be able to 
as we're connected to Jesus, that people can come and partake of the fruit of the Spirit, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the kindness, that just kind of like a fragrance of Christ that just exhumes from us. Is exhumes a work? I'm making up words at this point. It works. But I want us to be like trees, life-giving trees. And I'm going to use a word I don't usually, for those who know me, I don't usually talk about being happy. I'm not that guy. I'm like, you better suffer and have joy. You better take up your cross. Come on. I'm not the happy guy. I'm like, life's going to be tough. Deal with it. Love somebody. That's who I am. So I don't use the happy language a lot, but it's okay to use the happy language once in a while. God does want us to be happy, but he doesn't want our happiness to be determined by what we go through in life. Because what happens if our happiness is determined, happenings, things that happen to me, if we are happy only when things are going good in life? Chaff. We're moved. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. Something wrong is going to go, every, something's going to go wrong every day. There's going to be seasons that are happier, but there's always something broken in the world. There's always something that can be fixed. There's always something that can be maintenanced. So if we are only happy according to what's going on the outside, we will never truly be happy. But there's one circumstance that will never change in our lives, that Jesus is for us. That Christ lived, that Christ died, that Christ rose again, that Christ is for us, and that we will spend eternity with him. We are the apple of his eye because of the cross. That will never change. The gospel is set every day, so I can go through any storm, I can go through any trial, I can go through any suffering. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I can have the happiness of God. So we're going to talk today about what does it mean to be a happy person? What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord, and how do we grow in happiness? So let's begin there. Why am I even saying happy when it comes to Psalm 1? I didn't read that in the text, right? It's that word blessed. That word blessed in its original language means to be happy or happy or favored. It's the same word that Jesus uses in his first sermon when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Happy are those who are persecuted for they are children of God. So we can hear this like this. Happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And that word in the original language doesn't only mean man. It means person, man or woman. So a happy person is someone who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. See, what the scriptures go on to do is you'll notice in, in the Bible it will often say, blessed is the poor in spirit or blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked they would say this person does not do this that's like the language this person doesn't do this doesn't do this so it gives us they do not so the happy person does not do what he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked who do you get advice from who do you get counsel from happy person Happy people get counsel from righteous people. They look at godly men and women, and they say, what is their track record? Do they have healthy relationships? Do they have healthy families? Do they keep down a healthy job? Do they manage their money in a healthy way? Do they have self-control? These are the people we get counsel from. We don't get counsel from the wicked. 
If you get counsel from the wicked, you will be an unhappy person because they will teach you ways that oppose the ways of the Almighty God. Ask a person who loves money how to handle your money. That is a path to unhappiness. Right? Ask a person who's living sexually immoral how to be holy. That's a path to lifelong circle of death. Right? But the happy person says, who's walking in paths of righteousness? Who trembles at the word of God? Who treasures Christ above all and knows this world is passing away? I want to hear their words. Their words to straighten out my path to walk so my ways please my loving God. Happy person counsels with the godly. Second, they do not stand with sinners. That word stand is communicating something powerful here. You ever been around someone who has adopted a sinful lifestyle or a sinful philosophy and they're absolutely fixed on it and you're like, this isn't right. And they're like, I don't care what you say. This is how I stand, right? And you're like, you don't understand. The word of God doesn't say that. Don't care. This is where I stand. That word stand is supposed to mean you don't stand with people who oppose the law of God. You don't stand in the way of sinners. You don't fix yourself with them, those who celebrate sin. Unhappy people stand with people who celebrate sin. But the righteous stand on the word of God and say, I don't care who mocks me. I don't care who scoffs me. I don't care who persecutes me. I don't care how much I had to suffer because I had absorbed that. I'm standing on the word of God. I will forgive. I will love. I will pray. And I will believe. The happy person can have the roughest day in the exterior and lay down on that pillow and say, Lord, I'm happy because I stood firm on your word. Those are the delights of the soul that only the gospel can give. A happy person does not sit with scoffers. Some of us are former scoffers, right? We made fun of the people who are sharing the gospel with us. Here comes this idiot. Going to talk to me about Jesus again. Dude's embarrassing. Stay over there, bro. Right? A happy person doesn't sit in that seat with the scoffers. Why are you, why are you being so serious about church? Why, why, are you, why are you giving your time there? Why, you know, come on. You do, it's, a, it's a 50-50 if there's a God or not, man. You're going to take that chance? That's what scoffers do. They sit in the seat of scoffers. You just try to stand for something holy. They say, come on, dude. That's about 3,000 years ago. No. What the righteous person does, what the happy person does, he says, listen. Scoff at me. Persecute me. Say what you will about me. Because when you do, I identify Jesus, and that marks the children of God. I'm a happy person if people are making fun of me. I'm a happy person if people are persecuting me. Because only the righteous get that holy persecution like our Savior Jesus. Amen? Put a smile on your face. The happy person. So let me give you a simple definition of what I... Happy person is, scripturally. A happy person is someone who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates in, on it day and night, and he walks in accordance with it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The righteous person is someone who delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night, and he walks in accordance with it through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we want to be happy, we've got to delight in the law of the Lord. How many of you love the law? I didn't hear too many amens in here. 
it, why should we delight in the law of the Lord? If you don't like law, if you don't like rules, I want to ask you why you don't like the law and you don't like the rules. Is it because it inconveniences you? Is it because it limits you? Is it because it calls you to discipline? What is it? Why do you hate law? Why do you hate the rules? You know, I just took up hunting this year, which means I've sat in the woods for 24 hours and haven't seen anything while holding my bow and arrow. Real story. Real story. Orange hat just there, like, once in a while you just practice. Like, I almost shot the decoy once. I can't take this. So, but you know what happens? I don't see a turkey for all turkey season. But you know how life is. Every morning, a big, huge turkey walks into my backyard and just struts and looks at me. And I look out the yard and I say, you got to be kidding me, right? He gobbles. He struts. And I said, okay, dog. All right, I see you. I said, I'm going to shoot this thing. My bow and arrow, I'm going to pick it off. But I had to, I had to go down and check with Town Hall first because the last thing you want to see is your pastor arrested for illegally hunting the turkey in Wakefield, right? So I walk out into the back in Wakefield. I get a spot, and I say, oh, we're going to pin him down here. I'll give a few calls. This turkey's done. I go down to town hall, and I'm like, listen, this is going to sound like a funny question, but there's a turkey in my backyard. I want to hunt it in the woods out back. And she says, well, I'm not sure if you can do that. I said, who owns the land? Can we do this and that? The town administrator, who is the mayor, says, you got to talk to the police. So next thing, I'm at the police station. And I say to the police officer, I say, listen, I want to shoot a turkey. She says, I don't know if you can. She don't know either. So she's calling someone else, and finally we find out it's illegal to hunt in Wakefield. It's not sanctioned. But you know what bothers me the most why you can't hunt in Wakefield? Because someone didn't follow the law. Some knucklehead, which is Greek, shot an arrow into someone's house because he was breaking the rules within 500 feet you can't shoot an arrow so he shoots it in the house it's illegal to hunt now in Wakefield so this turkey continues to strut why do I share that story because the law was put in lace in place so someone didn't get an arrow through the chest through the window while they're washing their dishes right that wasn't to keep that guy from shooting arrows. It was like, listen, you can't shoot within 500 feet because people's lives matter more than that turkey's life. And the last thing you want is a family member to get an get arrow through the shoulder, right? I love that law because I don't want arrows shooting through my house, right? David writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He loves the law because he realized the law protects his family. The law protects his soul. The law protects his community. The law protects his nation. The law protects his world. For someone to delight in the law of the Lord and love the law of the Lord is mean to love God and love others. If you love God's law, you love people. If you love God's law, you love God's glory and the majesty of his name. You can't separate the two. So David would have been taught the Shema when he was younger. They recite that. Love the, the Lord our God. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He would have recited that almost every night with his family to get that word of God in his soul. 
He also would have been aware of the Ten Commandments and had them all memorized. So when he hears the law of God, he loves it. So when God reveals that you shall have no other gods before me, David loves that because he doesn't want the glory of his God shared with anything else. When it says you shall not make any graven images and worship them, stone, materials, bronze, copper, whatever the idol was, he loved that law. Why? Because why would you share, share the glory of his majestic God with something created by human hands when you could worship the creator himself? Do you guys see that? He loved that you shall not take the Lord in the name of the Lord your God in vain. He loved that. Who would dishonor the most beautiful name, the most powerful name, the name by which I'm delivered? Who would dishonor that name? I love, I, I hope no one ever utters blasphemies before my God or uses his name in a casual way. He loved that law because he loved his God. When they said take a day off, keep the Sabbath day holy, he loved that law because his day he could gather with God's people. A day he could worship with his family. A day he could remember the things that God had done for him. See, it wasn't a burden because he loved his God. And you go on and on your father and mother. He loved that one because it said if you honor your father and mother, it's attached with a promise you'll live a long life. And we could talk about murder or coveting or adultery or stealing. And you can go on and talk about all the Ten Commandments. You know why he loved those? Because to obey those was to perfectly love his neighbor. When I don't steal from my neighbor, I'm loving them. When I don't covet what my neighbor has, I'm happy for them. When I don't bear false witness or lie, truth is what keeps communities together. Do you guys see that? That's why he loved the law. He loved the law because he loved his God and because he loved his neighbor. You know, is there any part of God's revealed word that you hate? Is there any part of God's revealed word that you hate? And the reason I bring this up is because to reject God's word is in a way to reject his person. When we say, I reject that part of what God has revealed to be truth and what he's called me to, I'm saying, I hate that part of God. The reason David delighted in the law of the Lord because it was so closely connected to God's person that to engage with it and communicate with it was almost like communing with God himself. When someone reveals the words of who they are and you tell them, I don't like that part of you, you're making a huge statement. But when someone reveals who they are and you rejoice over it, the delight in that. Isn't it scary when you're about to tell someone who you really are? Like, this is, this is how I feel. This is who I am. They say, I don't like that part of you. Well, then those words I just revealed them on myself, then you must not adore me. But David heard those words uttered from the word of God, the law of the Lord, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it made him like, he wanted to jump over a wall. I love this stuff. Right? To delight in the law of the Lord is a beautiful and wonderful thing because delighting in God's word is delighting in God himself. And that's what a happy person does. A happy person understands 
God revealing or giving me these commandments, he's doing it for my good. And if I follow this path, my life will prosper in all the right ways. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff will just pour out of me because I delight in my King. So let's talk about how do we grow in happiness. David writes, he meditates on God's law day and night. When we hear about meditation, it's usually not in church, right? It's usually some Eastern religion, some Eastern philosophy. I remember when I was in school, I don't know if I was in seventh or eighth grade. I forget what grade I was in. But um, they called us into a class during PE class. Like we went in and they laid out some mats and stuff. I was like, what's going on? They were like, just lay there and we're going to talk and say stuff. And then they put on this real earthy music, but not earthy like causes you to see the glory of God and his creation, but it was almost like the tree was divine. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, when they get that water tool going through and I'm like, I feel uncomfortable in here. This is uncomfortable. And then the teacher just started walking through, through the room and she said, just clear your mind. Empty your mind. There's water pouring out of your ear right now. And I was like, get me out of here. Did they ask my parents' permission to have me in this class? But Eastern meditation teaches you to empty your mind. It says clear everything out, which is an impossible task. It tells you to find the divine within, which is also an impossible task because we are not God. Christian meditation is to fill your mind with the words of God. You guys hear that? We should be meditating, not emptying, but filling our minds with the word of God. In those words, that scripture will overcome the things that overwhelm you. Are you overwhelmed because you can't stop worrying about something in your mind? It's not about getting rid of that thought. It's about that thought being overcome by the word of God and the gospel that overwhelms that worry. Do you guys hear me? If you're anxious about your life, and all of a sudden you turn to Matthew 6, and you say, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the trees. Look at the birds. Look at how I clothe the lilies of the field. That thought does not disappear. It's overwhelmed by the love of God. That's Christian meditation. What are our minds filled with? That's why it's so important to guard our minds and our souls, to watch, make sure we're watching what we're letting in, make sure we know what we're beholding, make sure we know what we're thinking about. Because in so is guarding our souls. See, David said, I meditate day and night. This means David was meditating on God's word daily. He was meditating on God's word multiple times a day. He had a routine. You will fall to your system of being in God's word. So if it's just sporadic, you're like, okay, I feel like it. I'm going to open it. Oh, I put my finger on page 1119. That's the scripture for me. That's all right once in a while. But if you do that for 30 straight years, you might need a new system. You like that one, Papa? Because you've been doing it, huh, Papa? 
You need a system. Because God's word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and we are shaped by it. You know, something that happened to me when I was younger is my stepfather made me memorize over 100 scriptures on an index card. It wasn't the kindest thing he did or the way he did it, but at any point in my house, he'd look and say, you gotta, he didn't know me that I realized years. I memorized them all. He didn't even know them. That ain't right. If you're going to tell someone to memorize 100, you better come over the top with 100 for yourself. But at any time, he'd ask me a scripture verse, and they weren't just one verse. Some of them were four to six verses. And I'd say, you know, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. I have to recite it on the spot. Now, he didn't do it in the kindest way, but i tell you what it did to me. Many people ask me, why did you come out of so much chaos? What was one of the main factors that made you come out of so much chaos and even be able to help others? As I think back, I'm still trying to figure that out. It's because a very young age, I had the word of God living inside me with over a hundred scriptures memorized, not just one verse, but three to six, and it always lived inside of me. It guided me. It gave me faith. When I looked out and I saw the things of the world, I thought, do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, pride of possessions, pride of life, all that stuff would go through my mind. And that's the reason we memorize and meditate and have systems multiple times a day. I want to call you to excellence, guys. I want to call you stuff that's going to make you happy. I want to call many of you to wake up and just read a psalm every morning. I want to call you to get in a, a Bible reading plan and read one chapter or three chapters a day. We're talking about 11 to 15 minutes a day. Well, I want to call you to have a system. Maybe start there. A psalm in the morning, reading through the Bible at night. ESV Bible app, it's wonderful. It brings you right through. It saves you space. When we get healthy, holy systems, it bring, makes people happy. Amen. We've got to meditate on that day and night. Secondly, and I just want to share something I do every morning with the Psalms to learn a meditation. You can take it or leave it, but I, I, we all have our own system. Do what works for you. So I read a Psalm every morning, and I ask myself three questions, and I write them down in my journal. How does this psalm cause me to praise God? What does this psalm cause me to be thankful for? And what should I ask God for in light, to do in and through me in light of this psalm? How does this psalm cause me to praise God? What does this psalm make me thankful for? And what do I want to ask God to do in and through me through this psalm? And I'll just share real quick with you. So for Psalm 1, we just read, right? I'd sit down to meditate because what happens, you go from reading because prayer is always you hear God first, right? We don't start the conversation with God. God has already started the conversation with us, right? We read, then we meditate, which fires up our prayer. Read, meditate, think about, stirs our affections for God and causes us to pray. So the first thing here, what does this psalm cause me to be thankful for? No, that's the second question. Don't do that. How does this psalm cause me to praise God? I praise God because he's righteous, and he knows the ways of the righteous. Every time we choose good, stand with the righteous, walk with the righteous, and sit with the righteous, we are gathering up rewards in heaven. I thank God that he's a pure and righteous God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
that God isn't malicious, but he's pure and holy, that he's righteous and he rewards the righteous, I begin to praise God and say, Lord, you are holy. You're the only pure one. You're the righteous one. You you reward the righteous. And I begin to let that meditate and seep through my system. Secondly, what does this psalm cause me to be thankful for? Man, I'm thankful for the Bible. Are you? Could you imagine an existence without the word of God? We wouldn't know anything about Jesus. We wouldn't know if God was righteous and good. It has directed our path. It has kept us from evil. It has told us that we serve a God that hasn't given up on us. A God that forgives sin. How would we know that God forgives sin if it was not for the gospel that's revealed in the Bible? I could just be telling you a fairy tale if it was not for the word of God written in the blood of Christ. I'm so thankful for that. It gets me fired up right now. Wow. And thirdly, what should I ask for God to do in and through me in light of this psalm? Like we talked about in the introduction, God, make me a tree planted in the streams of your gospel. Make me someone that people can find shade under because I'm connected to Jesus. Make me someone who, because the fruit of the Spirit is born in my life, people can enjoy the gentleness and the kindness and the caring and the loving that's coming from my life. Make me like a tree where people look at me and it points them to a living, loving God. See how you hear that psalm. God has the first word and then we respond in prayer. In conclusion, Jesus did not stand in the way of sinners. He stood in the place of sinners. Jesus did not sit in the seat of scoffers. He was scoffed and mocked and took the seat to be mocked and scoffed by those who ridicule that which is most holy. Jesus did not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He walked a perfect life to show us how to live life and ultimately bore the cross to Calvary. Amen? We cannot perfectly follow the law. We have all fallen short. And have sinned. Guess who kept the law perfectly in our place because he perfectly delighted in the law of God? Jesus Christ, our Savior. The happiest person who ever walked planet Earth. Now, when you look at Jesus' life, was it an easy one? No, it was full of suffering. He ultimately was murdered. He was pure in heart. When you're pure in heart, you keep your word even when it harms you. Like it tells us in Psalm 15. You will not take a bribe. You will not lie. You will not bear false witness. You do it even when it hurts. And Jesus did that his whole life in perfect obedience. It was the happiest person to ever walk the earth. He did that for you and me. Amen. That can never change. You are loved by Jesus. You are known by Jesus. And you can be happy because our God is happy. The gospel is happy and he has blessed us. Let's pray.